0: Here we go, boys. Go. Ooh, I love that sound. This is a good one. of the full scale outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganbill. Thank you very much for joining me. All right, a little little tardy, but here is a extended weekend recap and rant. So, um, a little break from my normal upper midwest fishing and hunting adventures. I traveled to one of my favorite places on the world. If you've been a long-time listener of this podcast, Uh, you've heard me mention this place before, but it's Charleston, South Carolina or South Carolina, just in general, uh, used to fish out of Hilton head and then now we're fishing out of Charleston because that's where my brother moved and he has the boat. So (laughs) kind of dictates where I go. Uh, so yeah, I traveled to, uh, Charleston, South Carolina and, uh, I, am sorry, not sorry if this turns into a, uh, Charleston Area tourism commercial because I just love it down there. The food's great. Let's just get this out of the way. There's so much good food and great restaurants in the Charleston area. It's it's just unreal. And the best sandwich you're ever going to have ever anywhere. It's called the Duck Club, and you can get it at the Tattooed Moose. But a little local secret is if you go to a place called Carolyn's, and it used to be called the Tattooed Moose, or not Tattooed Moose, sorry, it used to be called the Voodoo Lounge. It's now called Carolyn's. Well, it's owned by the same people uh, of the Tattooed Moose, and their menu is, is similar but different. So at Carolyn's, you can get Duck Club sliders, little miniature versions of them, and they are phenomenal. And I was just talking to a buddy of mine today about this. He actually prefers the sliders over the full size sandwich. I'm torn. I would have to do a side-by-side comparison. I don't know. When it comes to duck, I feel like more is better. And uh, I like the full-size sandwich. But with that said, those little sliders are freaking amazing. So anyways, uh, any excuse to get to Charleston, if you haven't been there yet, go check it out. There's great music everywhere, great food, great people. It's awesome. But I was there mostly for fishing. So as it worked out, uh, I flew in uh, Wednesday night and I had all day... Thursday to myself. My brother was busy. My nephew Trenton hadn't come down yet. So I got some time to just go exploring. And my brother is saying, like, most of the bait is kind of moving out, you know, as we get into late fall. Although well, water temperatures have been up. And he said they had tried to get some menhaden the last time he was out. Well, they made a few throws with the cast net and they just couldn't really, they didn't really get anything. Um, so he he was thinking maybe they they had moved down. And so I was just exploring some areas and as I'm driving out I see pelicans diving just going crazy. I see dolphins working. I'm like all right, well there's there's obviously some bait still left. And uh, so I I go into the area where they're working and I can see I can see bait flipping. And I'm like, well I I can't I can't, I can't not try <laughs> cuz I just I love throwing the cast net so much. Um, So I I go in the front and I find, I didn't grab the big one, like 20 footer, which I mean probably should have, but I really don't have much experience throwing that one. And so I grabbed the six footer and every year I need a little crash course, a little reminder on how to throw it. So I'm out there by myself and usually I have uh, my brother or my nephew kind of give me a, you know, quicker, fresher course, but they weren't there. So I just went to YouTube and typed in how to throw a six foot cast net and the the video I watched, the method that this guy was using is not how I was taught before. And I kind of like the looks of it, so I'm like, I'm going to try that. And so I didn't even get over, like, a school or anything. I'm like, I kind of loaded the net up the way he said. And uh, I'm like, it kind of feels good. And I just did a test throw Pssh, pancake. I was like, oh, ho oh. Oh, this, for me at least, works way better than the way I was doing it before. So now I, I start motoring around, and I'm trying to find some bait. And, you know, you see one flip over there, and one flip over there. And, of course, then the birds are diving way the hell over there, and you try to chase them around, and then they move to where you were just at. And so I'm like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get to an area where it looks like there's a lot of activity uh, to troll them motor down and put on spot lock, and I just waited. I was all loaded up, and I was just waiting and then I could see them flipping. And then when one flipped close enough, and I don't know how big these schools are. Um, the side imaging on our, the side scan on the, the Lowrance was not working, which we found out later why. I'll get to that. Um, and so I was just standing there loaded, and all of a sudden one would flip close by, and I threw out there and reeled it in, and I had Two. <laughs> Two men hiding. and they were big though, and I was like, and that was a success for me. I was like, "Sweet, I got some that's awesome, um, and so I'm like, I'm gonna try it again, so I load up and and wait, and kind of just still locked in this area a couple times I made a slight move for you know, I'm waiting, 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 nothing I ever I move moved that close to me. they were just out of range, and they were just right over there, so I'd just make a tiny little move like twenty three yards and then post up, and then I waited saw and flip threw that thing out there and boom brought up like well, I guess I can't really say net full but I don't know like 8 8 to 10 something like that and I was like oh here we go now we're getting somewhere this can be done this can be done so dump them in the live well and I did that a couple more times next thing you know I got a live well full of these menhaden and these menhaden are big like I actually kind of thought they were shads like I would say they're probably a good 8 inches maybe some of them might even been like 10 inches like these are good size, this is a good size bait, I'm like alright, well I got some bait, now let's go let's go exploring and I can kind of see on the electronics, like the the map of where, like my brother's been I see this little creek arm, it doesn't have any no old track on it so I'm like, I'm gonna run up that thing just see what it looks like, and uh I'm on it was falling tide, but it was just when I left the dock, it was it was pretty close to high tide and uh so I'm going up this creek and cast a couple little feeder creeks that go into that. You know, you could see some bait flipping and stuff and so I made a cast net uh, toss in there and uh, my brother earlier said, he's like, well the shrimp are everywhere right now. I'm like and he was not wrong. Like <laughs> you can almost blindly cast anywhere and you pull up shrimp like it's it's crazy and some of them, big enough, like you can eat and we, we thought about maybe keeping a couple of the bigger ones and that, that didn't end up panning out but um, caught a couple of little finger mullet and I just and then I was like, alright, I'll keep going. Go up this this creek a little further. Now I'm just in like complete wanderlust explore mode. And I get up here where this the creek kind of makes a really sharp S turn. And uh, you can see the water rushing over where there's um oysters and that and this area is just loaded. I mean loaded with finger mullet. And so I'm trying to make some casts, and at this point in time, the trolling motor decides to act up and it, it won't stay connected to the fob. I guess there's a loose wire somewhere. I'd get the thing spot-locked. I could hear it, and then I was drifting down the creek. It's like, oh, my God. So by this time, I'm about mid-tide, I suppose, and the water's moving pretty damn fast. Um, for any of you upper Midwest people or any any inland person that's never been to one of the coasts and never experienced tidal movements, it's kind of trippy. I mean, I I've been doing this for a lot of years now and it, it I'm just fascinated by tides every time I go there. It, it's, I don't know, like the, the water moving in that it's, it's just interesting because it's something we don't have to keep in mind here. Like we're fishing here in Minnesota. There's no, the water levels, the water level, the river level for the most parts, the river level, like it's not, it doesn't fluctuate within hours. Um, and it's something you definitely do have to keep an eye on. Uh, one, because fish relate to it. Obviously, they feed to it and you, on what side of structure you want to be on, whether it's an incoming tide or an outgoing tide, because that's the direction of the current. But even more so than that, like where I was at, it's like this creek is draining out fast. And at some point in time, you got to be like, i got to get out of here, because it's not very deep. And <laughs> you can get stranded, because... I've seen us do it. (laughs) Don't get out in time, and now you gotta wait for the tide to turn around. And depending on where you are, when you get stuck in that tide schedule, you could be there for a couple hours, two, three hours, before there's enough water under you to float that boat, and you can be on your merry little way. So you have to pay close attention to that tide chart and plan accordingly. So I kept trying, kept, kept trying to get. more finger mullet and I did I caught I caught quite a few I met a live well full of them I met a live well full of shrimp I'm like all right we're gonna go and uh try to catch some sharks now that that's kind of what I want to do and get there and there, there's big bull reds are running and stuff like that but I, I kind of wanted a big shark this trip I had never really caught a big shark I think my biggest shark today is it's a black tip I don't even think we measured it but it was probably like five five feet um so from there I'm like oh, where do I go so the jetties weren't that far out, um, so I took a right turn out of this creek and headed up to the uh, head up to the jetty. On my way out, though, that water like the the oyster bars are starting to get exposed and these mud flats are starting to get exposed. And I I made a quick cast once because there was these bonnethead sharks and they're not very big, but they're still fun to catch. These things were working the shoreline like big time in super shallow water like their entire body was like almost out of the water and you could see their fins and their tail and then all of a sudden they would just double back on themselves and you knew they went over a crab or something because that's their like main prey and a bonnet head to just describe it it's a lot of people confuse them with hammerheads because they have that like flat shovel type face but it's just a much shorter like the the little like the eyeball parts that stick out like on a hammerhead are just like little tiny bump outs on their head so they, they just don't come out very far but they use it the same way they they swim and they're swinging that uh head back and forth and they're picking up the electrical signals that these crabs give off and then they just yeah you know, they double back on themselves and dig it up out of the muck and chaos ensues so i cut up some of my bait real quick and i and i toss it out there and of course, by the time I got all set up and they were gone and didn't come back, so I was like, ah, crap. So then I headed out to the jetties. I got set up out there and uh, got my baits out, had some live out, had some cut out, and I'd taken quite a bit of my um, bait and I chumped, you know, chopped it up and threw it in the chum bag and threw that over, trying to get a good, you know, scent slick, bringing some of those sharks, and uh, didn't get any shark activity. But what was fun, as I started catching, even on the bigger hooks, this was dumb, Start started catching these uh, black sea bass, which they don't get very big. I think they, they're supposed to be like 13 inches is like the legal length you can keep, and you never catch one that big. Like 10 inches was probably the average size. And so I was catching some of those. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know these were by the jetties. So I went in the rod locker, grabbed a, a light, you know, the flats rod, little trout rod, put a small jig on there, and I started cutting up chunks of shrimp, and I was throwing that down on the bottom uh, as the tide started to turn. So the other thing, as the tide turns, obviously it slows down. You get this little period of slack water, then it starts rolling the other way. Um, and once the tide slowed down enough where I can get this jig down there, because when that tide's ripping, man, it's that current is it's ripping. <laughs> and your little you know half-ounce jig ain't making it down to the bottom. You'd have to let out 400 yards of line. And even then, I don't think you would get down there. But, anyways, I, I was able to get down there and just started picking off these BSBs, we call them black sea bass. And that was just keeping me entertained while I was waiting for a, a bigger fish to hit. And I'd gotten a couple bites and then didn't pan out that I missed. And, um, so then it's, well, then I was at low tide. And the other thing about low tide for us specifically is where my brother has his, um, dock space in the marina you can't get to it at dead low so that kind of determines your fishing you, you if you can't fish very like you have to look at the tie chart although you know if you have to be somewhere at a specific time you need to look at it because if you wait too long and it's like dead low you're not getting into your slip so you either got to get in earlier or you got to be able to fish longer till it turns water comes back up so that's what i was going to do It was going to work out pretty good as far as the end of the day goes. And so I fished. And then once that tide turned and there was, I, I couldn't get the jig down there anymore. I fished for a little bit longer. And then I was like, oh, it's time to time to head back in. And that was just like a super fun day. It was just me. I was left to my wanderlust. I could go and do whatever I wanted. Uh, didn't really catch a ton of fa- Well, that's not true. I caught a ton of black sea bass. But I didn't get any sharks or any reds or anything like that. Which, fishing by myself. I mean, that would have been pretty hectic. If I actually would have hooked a big old shark, that that would have sucked. <laughs> so that that would have been bad. And so then the next day, um, this Friday, now my, my nephew's in town and my brother. And so we, we all go out. Uh, wait, is that right? Am I saying that right? This is another one of my recaps where I'm like, I really should write shit down. Um... Yeah, because I didn't go by myself twice. So he was there. Our thing was just my brother and I. Ah, hell, I don't remember. <laughs> my memory's just shit. Um, but we go out, and we actually we, we get some sharks, and we went and we got more bait. And that day, it was a little tougher because uh, there was some wind that day. So you couldn't see the bait as good. And uh, that's right. It was just my brother and I and uh, so we tried we tried to get some of those menhaden and we tried a couple different spots um on our way to where I had caught them last and it was just it was really hard to to get on them cuz you couldn't you just couldn't see them that good cuz the the wind and uh, so I'm like well I know where we can get I know where we can get mullet and so I brought them up that creek and went back in there and cast around there and caught quite a few Came back out and uh, almost, almost got stuck on, like, that flat that those uh, bonnet heads were working on our way out. Um, I thought he was running a little close. <laughs> but it's his stopping ground, so I didn't really question him. And sure enough, like, like um, that's not good. Trims all the way off, tries to power us through with the outboard. Not happening. Um he keeps in gear, walks up the front. I'm in the front, and, you know, we're just trying to rock it and do whatever we can. We get the trolling winter down, and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We were able to get over that mud hump, and uh, thankfully, because the uh, tide was still dropping. So if we had been stuck-stuck, we would have been stuck-stuck for probably four hours. That would have really sucked. But we were able to get it off it and, uh, and then kept going. And then we went up and pulsed up at the jetties again. And um, we caught a little uh, Atlantic, sharp nose. But we really didn't get much action up there. There just wasn't much going in the jetties. So we kind of bailed on that and then went and checked out this, uh, this other spot. And we were able to find, we got a couple bites there. And then we went up to the main bridge and we we're kind of scanning around, and we found a, a decent spot there. Where we were getting some bites, and so yeah, we caught. I think we hooked up an array. Um, caught? Did we get any reds that day? I'm not. No, I think we just caught some sharks that day. Uh, but I know I got hit by a red. So I was um, same thing. Like I'm messing around with uh, the black sea bass, and I'm bringing up this uh, this black sea bass, and all of a sudden, boom! My rod just takes off drag screen like oh this is no BSB here and then I'm fighting it and then it just the hook just comes out and then when I pull up the bait it wasn't um there was a black sea bass on it and it was on you know a bigger hook and he'd somehow got the whole hook in his mouth but something had hit that black sea bass and he was all ripped up but not ripped up in like a shark way because a shark would have just bit him in half or a big bluefish would have just bit it in half or whatever so I'm pretty sure it was just a big bull red. So I was like, "Oh, so close!" And we had had one on earlier that um, broke off that day, and so it was just like, oh, "You gotta be shitting me!" Gotta get with some of these bulls. And uh, so that that didn't pan out. Saturday rolls around. Now we got the full boat. It's me, my brother, my nephew Trenton, his girlfriend Peyton. And we get out, and this time the, now there's not as much wind, so we go up to catch some more Menhaden, and it works out. We're able to get quite a few Menhaden, and then you know we go, and then we go set up on the um, on the jetties again, a little bit different spot on the jetty, and as the as the tide changed and, and ripped, we had to make a couple different um, moves. And I think we moved at the right time because almost every time we moved, we, we'd catch another fish and we were catching sharks. And then we ended up catching a really nice bull red out there on the jetties too. And I'm, like I my, my nephew like dropped the bait on his head. We decided to move because the current was like really stiff where we're at. Let's just like, let's get on that current seam. So we pull up the anchor. We slide over that current seam, drop the anchor, get set. He puts the bait out and like as soon as he's on the bottom line, instantly takes off and he ends up uh, catching that big red so we've got a few sharks on our belt We got that red we got some day daylight burning and uh my, my nephew tretton is like he, he's just got in his head he wants to go out into the ocean a little bit not far but there's you know they've been catching bonita out there all summer long now bonita are they're like little tuna but they taste like shit you can't eat them but what they are is like excellent shark bait because like super dark red blood. They're really oily, um, just great, uh, great shark bait, and they're super fun to catch. I mean, they fight like crazy, and so we wanted to just go see if they were there. If it was too late in the year, um, you know, he was kind of thinking they're all around. My brother's like that. Ah, they probably have left the area because you know water's cooling off, and I kind of said, "We're right here. Let's just try it." Like, what do we have to lose? It's already a successful day. We've, we've caught sharks. We've caught red. Let's – got nothing to lose, right? So we head out there, and uh, it's a short boat ride. Like, you're, we're really not going that far out. And um, we found a couple small schools. We weren't really seeing much. And you're, what you're looking for – well, in a perfect world, you're finding, like, you know, big flocks of birds that are diving on bait. And then they'll lead you to the bait ball and then the the Bonita are underneath, and they're splashing around, chasing them from underneath. That wasn't really happening. But I did see a couple splashes, and so we chased those down, and we're like, oh, that was definitely Bonita. But just small schools weren't able to stay on them to, to cast to them or to catch anything. And so we're just motoring around, and way off, way off in the distance. Like, I think I see some activity. I can't, so I grab the binoculars, and i I pull it up, and sure enough, I see birds diving way over there, I'm like, alright, way over there, there's some birds diving, let's go check it out I don't know if there's fish with them or not but some birds are doing some shit over there let's check that out Sweet so boogie all the way over there and sure as shit, we got, there's some we can see the bonitas, and they're just coming straight out of the water, they're so, like, they're just slashing at bait, they're so much fun to watch and so we're chasing these schools, and you, you gotta go pretty quick to get to them, but then you don't want to just like blow them out, so then you gotta dial way back on your speed, and, like sneak up onto them, and hopefully they're still working that service, and then you cast your lure out. And these lures we're using, they're kind of like a, a mix between a jig and a spoon. It's like a long metal jig, and then they got a little bit of hair on the back, single hook, and they're mimicking these little ghost minnows that these Bonita are eating. And you, you the idea is to throw this right in the middle of the feeding frenzy, and just, I mean, you're basically like ripping it through that, school as fast as you can trying to trigger that bite and we were able to get a couple good casts in there but and nothing was taken I was starting to get really frustrated um, but we just we kept at it and sure enough boom, hooked up one and they I'm telling you <laughs> you guys know how like smallmouth bass have an attitude dude these things they're so much fun so much fun to catch you hook up to one of these and the first thing that happens that thing peels off like 30-40 yards it's just your drag's just screaming, your rod's just doubled over, and you're just holding on to it. There's nothing you can do. There is no reeling in yet. <laughs> and then once they kind of get that first run out of the way, then you can start pumping them in, and they make more and more runs. And We're, we're using, like, light trout rods, flats rods for these. And uh, I kind of came to the conclusion that to do this effectively, I think you would need to up your rod a little bit, like a medium action fast tip, maybe 7, maybe even 7, 6, because you still want to be able to cast. That lure's not very heavy. But you still want to be able to like sling that thing out there because, you know, if you can keep some distance between you and that school bus, then better chance you're not going to, you know, scare that school away and you can actually pick off those fish. I think we even had a double once we were out there. It was a ton of fun. I think we caught kind of like, I don't know, 4 or 5, 4 or 5 minita and we put them in the, in the Yeti. So we had shark bait. So we headed back in. We still had time and, and uh, cut off some bait caught a few more fish, and then, in fact, not only did we catch few more fish, then we started getting into the bulls and uh, caught a few more bull reds. I think we got like three, maybe four reds that day, and ended the night with a double. That was perfect, just awesome. Peyton caught two. I think she caught the two biggest fish of the day. She's got that good luck gene, um, the good fishing luck gene for sure. And then, uh, so... Sunday I head out um and kinda do the same thing. I didn't have as much time to fish on Sunday just for like three hours. But I already but we had the bait from yesterday. We still had some the Menhaden somehow survived the night in the live well and I still had those Bonita from the day before in the Yeti. So didn't waste any time trying to catch any bait. We just went straight to the fishing spot and cut them up and started fishing and yeah, caught shark. Um caught a sandbar shark, which I had never caught before. It was a pretty good size one. And then caught a big ray. Caught a uh, bull red, and then it was time to go. But the bull red was tagged. How badass is that? I was so stoked. So the only problem with that is like it was covered in like algae. The tag was, and I you couldn't really read it and scraping some of it off, and there's just a lot of the numbers were wore off. Couldn't really read it. I deciphered it the best I could, entered it, you know, on their email, um, you know, I just basically Googled like South Carolina redfish tag and then brought me to the site I needed to punch in the number, and then uh, I don't know they sent me an e- a number back or an email back and they're like now oh, that number doesn't really match our records. Are you sure that's what it is? And I sent them a picture of the tag and of the fish, and uh, they're like, yeah, oh, that that number does kind of look like that, but that's impossible because. That number we have in our file is from uh, a belly tag. And this was obviously not a belly tag. It was on its back. And, like, they're going to do some more digging and see if they can find it. But So I probably won't get the information back for that. But it's still pretty cool to catch a tagged fish. That's my second tagged fish. um, In fact, the only two tagged fish that have been caught out of my brother's boat. And I have caught them both. Mm, Lucky me. (laughs) And then I was hoping to repeat it the next day. But then it was just rain. I mean, it was rain, raining that morning and it rained till like 10 11 o'clock I was like all right that's not gonna happen because I was catching a flight Monday to head back so I would I would have been able to fish until like noon pretty safely but it rained almost that entire time so didn't get any fishing in that last day but all in all a very very successful trip so Again, here's your your Charleston, South Carolina commercial. You guys got to get down there and experience that. Um, I know a guy. If you need a guide, <laughs> the boat's down there, just waiting for me. Any excuse to get down there, uh, you will not have to pull my arm very hard. Um, I'll put you on some sharks, rays, and reds. It's it, and maybe, and maybe some bonita. So that was that was pretty dang fun. So I was telling my brother about that. It's like, all right, well. The Bonitas are still here, so we know at least this time of year they're still here. I was like, you know what? As the winter progresses and you get the right weather where the seas aren't rough, you should almost run out and just check. And, I mean, maybe they're there all winter. Who knows? I mean, it would be good good information to have. I mean, it's and again, like I said, it's not that far of a run out, so pretty cool. Well, there's your recap. It's a much different recap um, than you normally get. There's no bass, no walleye, um, no goose hunting. Although I did see some geese when I was down there. It was like one flock. Um, let's just be the resident Charleston flock. I don't know. I'm sure they're just eating grass somewhere. But uh, So that was kind of cool. Well, later, I don't know about Charleston, but I know down when we used to fish Hilton Head late, like in November, the... Um, they get a lot of buffleheads down there, a lot of divers, uh, bills and ringnecks even. I've seen quite a few. And we have talked about doing a cast and blast down there, uh, but that just never has never come to fruition. But that would be, I wonder how, you almost have to like just hunt out of a boat. I mean, you couldn't set up on shore with the tides. Like Next thing you know, your decoys are 100 yards away from you. Plus, I don't think your little J-hook lead weights are going to hold a decoy when that tide starts ripping. There ain't no way, no way, no how those weights are going to hold your decoys in place. It would be a nightmare. Definitely have to use like diver lines or something like that. But when we were down there and those buffies were flying around, you didn't even need decoys. You just have the guns. You could be fishing, just have the gun at the ready. I'm like, oh, here comes the flock. They'll be close enough. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> that would be so cool. I don't know about the legality of it, but it would be pretty pretty badass. Um, so there's your recap. It was a pretty fun weekend. For my rant, um, somebody sent me is like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" And I didn't know what was going on because I wasn't really on social media much. And apparently, um, some people are bitching. We had back in Minnesota, we had this um, youth firearm season. So I'm like, "I people are bitching about that." And he's like, "Oh yeah, they're losing their minds." So he sent me a couple links, and so I followed them, these different um, hunting groups on Facebook. And sure as shit. Grown-ass adult people complaining about the youth hunt. <sighs> so I start reading some of the comments. And they're the, the, the typical short-sighted bullshit. Oh, it's a youth trophy hunt, and it's uh they I ain't even heard. This is the best one. Some dude, in his comment, likened it the same way the early teal season pushed all the ducks out that the early youth firearms hunt is going to push all the deer out. Do you think white-tailed deer migrate? Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you're telling me? It pushed all the deer out. Out to where? Where, Wisconsin? They went all the way to Dakotas, Canada, Iowa. Where did they go? Where did they go? They pushed them out. Get out of here. That was possibly, high possibility, the dumbest response that I have. I possibly could have read. Um, but it's a lot of the same. They're putting pressure on the deer. They're, in, you know, they're getting into the rut. They're going to mess up the regular firearm season. Some bow hunters were bitching because that weekend, if they went out, because um, you could still bow hunt as you know, but it's just the youth that could go and, and use uh, firearms for deer, but you had to wear blaze. They, that weekend you had a blaze orange requirement because you don't want to get shot. So there were some people that were complaining about that. Uh, Like I said, it's just your typical, short-sighted, selfish hunters. They want it the way they want it. In fact, I got into a debate with one of them, and the guy's like, oh, I see, as soon as I saw your profile with the bass picture, that made all the sense in the world. Like, oh, because if I had a walleye in my profile picture, then suddenly my uh, opinion would matter more. Like, (laughs) that is so stupid. I also deer hunt, bro. I just happen to have a bass as my profile picture. Dill hole. What is you know your you know your argument is not very strong when your comeback has to do with their profile picture. Let, let's just go with that as being a basis of a, a shitty debate stance. Um, none of his stuff held up to scrutiny. Obviously, he's just bitching a bitch. And people, can we stop throwing the DNR? under the bus do nothing right this it's a money grab it's a this it's a that if you got some better answers i'm all ears let's hear it how are you going to fund it how are you going to manage it because what you're saying is you just think every other sportsman needs to think exactly the way you do and that's not the dnr's job the dnr has the impossible job of trying to placate everybody and by everybody, I'm not just talking about people who hunt and fish and trap. The Department of Natural Resources is involved in four-wheeling trails, and ski trails, and hiking, and aquatic management, for kayakers, canoers, motorboaters, everything, all of it. They have to do all of it, and they have to keep all those people marginally happy, which means most people aren't ever going to be 100% happy. But you still think they should make you 100% happy. And when it comes down to it, these whitetail guys, and I'm going to do some broad generalizations right now. These whitetail guys, very similar to a lot of the walleye guys and who just want you know, they should have limits every time they go out. And if they don't, then the DNR is screwing up. Something is amiss. Something is wrong. It's somebody else's fault. It's the bass fishermen. It's it's the this. It's the that. It's to whoever. With white tail hunters, it seems to be the same thing. They want to be able to go out, punch their tag when they want to punch it, at their convenience, and it should be uh, an eight-pointer or better. And if not, then some big crime has somehow been committed against them. It couldn't possibly be them. It couldn't possibly be that they might need to change their hunting tactics. As you've heard me bitch about it when they start bitching about wolves. It's... A couple things. One, we have way more deer now than ever before. Than ever before. <laughs> so, I don't know what good old days you're referring to, um, but the good old days did not have that many, as many deer as we have today. Um, the fact that in some of these zones you can shoot up to like five deer is uh, kind of testament to that. And then people bitch like, oh, they only, I can only shoot two deer in this. It's like, that's kind of the point like that's like what do you, you think we should be shooting eight deer and then in those eight deer they should all be booners like it's just unrealistic you have unrealistic hopes and and then with this youth thing you're throwing that all out and you don't think hunter recruitment is important Do we are do a search yourself just look it up hunter recruitment or license sales numbers they decline and every single year and they have been for a long time so now the dnrs are starting they're they're looking at recruitment and re, and retainment and yeah a lot of these things and i'm sure including this youth firearm season as well as the the youth duck season whatever a lot of that a lot of those youth that are hunting those were probably going to hunt anyways that is probably i've heard that argument now one actually has l- some legitimacy to it but this is another opportunity to get them hooked, because recruitment is one thing, but retainment is an entirely different thing. Like, sure, they had a, they had a good time one time, and whether they had success or not, you know. And then we get people that berate them about shooting a spike buck or a small. They should have let that walk. You gotta you gotta instill good buck management into these kids. So what you would rather have is kids go out and be bored. Have zero success and then you would probably bitch that the retainment that hunting license are still going down and the dnr is just screwing it up no you're screwing it up you're screwing it up by shaming them for shooting a small deer i don't care if the kid gets the shakes because he shot a doe or he shot a spike that's awesome you've got that kid you want to talk about retainment that kid's in now he is in and He's going to tell his friends, and then maybe he recruits some friends. And even as an adult, maybe he'll recruit some adults. Um, that's what we need. We need a recruitment and a retainment because without those license sales that are dwindling, that DNR that you hate so much, their job's going to get even harder because they're going to have less and less money to pull from. They're going to be underfunded, understaffed, and you're still going to want Walleys in every lake and deer on every tree. You have to stop and and look at yourself when you catch yourself bitching and ask yourself, what's my solution? Here's the problem that I have in my mind. What's my solution? What would I actually like to see different? And then ask yourself, how would you pay for it? How would you police it? How would you manage it? And And then, if you're really being honest with yourself, how does this affect other people who want to use the outdoors that are taxpayers and have every right to the public land as you do. Remember, you have to keep them happy too. So let's ease up off of the DNR hate. Let's definitely ease up off of breathing down these young kids' necks and shaming them for small deer. You know, the best... No no one's ever changed their mind because she poked them in the chest. Alright? It just doesn't happen. They dig their heels and they get defensive. If you want to teach good buck practices, then do that. Use it as learning you can use them as learning moments. Then mentor a young hunter. How about that? Instead of bitching on Facebook, mentor a young hunter. Then you can instill in him the conservation practices that you would like to see. You know, and, but bottom line is, you know, let that kid get one deer under his belt. And then next year, next year you can have the conversation of like, all right, well, you shot a spike next year. So this year we need a bigger one. And then that starts the conversation about, and then also you want these 10, 11, 12 year olds to completely grasp what's taken you a lifetime of hunting to understand good quality buck management. You think that, that theory is just going to stick the moment you say it to a young kid was a short attention span. Then you're being completely unrealistic and completely selfish. So, all right, there's my rant. So thank you, everybody, for listening to Full Scale Outdoors podcast, this week's recap and rant. I appreciate each and every one of you. Coming up this weekend, SmackDown Outdoors uh, checks out on uh, Facebook and we will be going live on YouTube as well, but we have the – 2021 second annual virtual ice fishing show, uh, starts Friday at one o'clock and we're going into Saturday, 7am, three Sunday, 7am to three. And, uh, all your favorite ice fishing vendors are going to be stopping in and talking about what they got new stuff's going on. The latest, this is your first chance to get a glimpse at what the latest and greatest and any uh, show deals and stuff like that are be coming your way. So uh, brush off those credit cards, because if it's anything like last year, who oh, good God, I'm gonna spend a lot of money. Um, it's really cool. If you haven't been, if you weren't a part of the last one, which is wildly successful, you know, check this one out. Um, instead of you having to go to every single booth, the booth comes to you, and you can interact live on Facebook and YouTube, and you can send us questions, and we can ask them in real time. And then it, it's just, you'll see their stuff up close and personal. We're going to have a slightly different format this year. We're going to be at Thorn Brothers. Some vendors are going to be coming in. Some people are still going to be doing it virtually from their locations. Um, it's shaping up to be a really good show, and I'm super, super pumped up about it. So that's this weekend, all right, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, check us out, SmackDown Outdoors on Facebook, SmackDown Outdoors on YouTube. But it's going to be Doug myself and Patrick Olson from the Lone Angler will be hosting it. And it's going to be uh, a shit ton of fun. I can't I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. So bring your, if you're hunting, bring your ear pods, and you can listen to the show while you're waiting for that bullwinkle to step out. And then if you get one, chime in and be like, oh, big buck down. That would be pretty badass. But if you're anything like me, you're a hardcore ice fisherman, And we had on Doug's show last, was it last week? I think it was last week. We had the, um, might have been two weeks ago now. I think it was. Anyways, we had the ice fishing roundtable. So that really got my blood pumping for ice fishing season. So in the slight chill in the air now, yeah, I'm getting pretty stoked for it. So this this ought to kick it into full-blown ice fishing craving for sure so uh check that out again thank you everybody for listening i appreciate it each and every one of you and whatever your passion even if it's walleye fishing even if it's trophy hunting white house whatever your passion pursue it full scale through the blackwater bayous and in the dark louisiana night floats a duck camp Alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network. Brought to you in part by HuntStan, the number one hunting and land management app.